Uh, well, hello and welcome to the Fencing Podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Gavin. And uh, here we are again for episode eight. Eight episodes in. Yeah, pretty impressive. We should have a party at ten. Uh, yeah, sure we will. Um, so first thing, first talk about uh, some coach moves. Mm-hmm. Um, Andre Clausen, uh, former British men's foil uh, head coach, yes. has moved to Singapore pretty much um, just last week. Uh, yeah, and just to sort of touch on Singapore for a second, uh, the Commonwealth Games, the, the ones that happened in Scotland, Singapore were probably the most impressive team that uh, came from nowhere. And that's what everybody was thinking. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely a, a country in that. But I was doing a bit of reading about Singapore, and they're probably tiny, about the same size as Scotland, but a population of about 6 million or so. Mm-hmm, I believe um, that easily, yeah. But yeah, putting a lot of a lot of effort into into the fencing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the recruitment of uh, Audrey is a thoroughly good move for them, I would think. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. What's next? Um, Andrea Magro, uh, Italian head coach for men's and women's foil at the 2004 Olympics. Mm-hmm. Uh, women's foil at 2008, both enormously successful games for Italy. Yes. After the 2008 games, he parted company with Italy, worked in Japan for a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most recently, over the last um, four years or so, he's been working with the Germans women's foilists, and uh, they have they have parted company now. Anna Bentley, uh, 2012 Olympian, sent, sent me this article um, in German, and my German's not very good, so I just have to use Google Translate, mm-hmm. uh, which that's kind of you know, mix, mixed results. But basically the gist of it was, Magro's out, the women's foilists are not happy, they have no immediate replacement, replacement lined up, um, but they did say they have a plan B. Which is always a bit worrying when you don't actually hear what the plan B is. So, so, so sort of step back a moment. Are the, the Germans women foils were they unhappy with uh, with Andrea or was it, no with his departure? Got a bit of money then. That's my guess. Um, I would think so. I mean, there's lots of rumours about German fencing having its funding hugely cut. I mean, they've mm-hmm. been uh, heavily supported by German government with enormous success. Mm-hmm. To be fair, for a very long time, yeah, uh, that success pretty much seems to be tailing off now. They seem very much to be a, a nation. In decline fencing wise, they had a, a pretty disastrous Olympics. Well, first of all, they only qualified four fencers for the yeah. Olympics. Uh, no teams, uh, uh, two men's sabreurs, one women's foilist, and and one men's foilist, mm-hmm. and, none of, and none of them medalled. Uh, so yeah, Germany, German fencing in a in a bit of a mess at the moment. Uh, and to be fair, for all Andrea Magro's previous success as a coach, uh, the German women's foilist haven't really made much progress in the four no. years that he's been there. No, that's true. Um, but it takes time to establish a programme. Four well, years is only yes one cycle. No. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But they are quite literally exactly where they were in terms of their, their team ranking. Karen Golubitska had a bit of a peak in the, in the season immediately after after 2012, where she got up to third in the world. Mm-hmm. But she's now down about 17th or 18th mm-hmm. or something. And the rest of the team are you know sort of hovering around the 50 mark. What about, what about the cadets and the juniors? That, or sorry, I should say the juniors and cadets that we know about. Was there not a junior that was in play uh, well? Uh, yeah, Leonie Ebert. Mm-hmm. Um, looks, looks pretty promising, but still a long way from the from the finished article. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, another, you know, coach, coach bites the dust in, in terms of their, their current employer. Okay. Um, and the last one is a, is a near miss on a sort of more permanent departure. Uh, Greg Maceas, head, head coach of the, the American Men's Foil Programme, uh, had a, a pretty serious skiing accident when he was in, in Nice between between World Cups um, yeah, a few weeks ago, about three weeks sure. ago. Um, did post on Facebook a, a photo of his ski helmet um, pretty much mashed to a pulp and apparently he, he only regained consciousness as the air ambulance crew were uh, preparing to lift him into the helicopter. So mm. he's going to be in a back brace for uh, somewhere between a month and three months but uh, apparently should, should eventually make a full recovery. 
This is why skiing is stupid. The skiing bit's okay. It's the it's the crashing bit yeah. that's bad. Because so. one of the guys I coach has just broken his leg. All right. Yeah. He's, he's properly broken his one of his either his fibula or his tibia, and that's him for I don't know what three months. But mm. the recovery time is for that. But it's yeah. properly smashed. So. Yeah, good, but get, get well soon, Greg. Have yeah, sympathies are... Yeah, I mean, I, I near missed, but it could have been worse. So, yeah. yeah, if you are listening, Greg, since you might have a bit of time in your hands at the moment, uh, yeah, wish a, a, a quick and full recovery. So, that about covers the coach moves, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, one thing I was going to say, we for some reason, I do tend to pick up what's happening with foil coaches. And I'm sure there's almost certainly the same amount of activity going on in Epi and Sabre that I just don't hear about. So, well, if, you, if you hear about any any stuff that we might be interested in, please, please let us know, because... Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want you to feel um, well, neglected. It's interesting. The only thing I think we've picked up recently was Hugh going to China. Yeah. And then uh, the new coach for the Swiss team. Yes, that's uh, right. And, and that's more or less picked up just because some of the guys involved there are pretty heavy social media users. Mm. And that's the only reason we, we found out about those. But it doesn't seem to be talked about as much as it is. Um, I mean, I hear some chatter about Sabre. Right. But the Epi stuff, they never really seem to talk about the coaches very much. Okay. Not from what I can tell, anyway. It's curious. I have to look into that. You think that's an epi characteristic, an epi's characteristic, or is it <laughs> just more stability in the epi world? Or it's maybe a bit of all of the above. Plus, everybody loves their spreadsheets. They're probably too busy <laughs> summing <laughs> things up, too busy cleaning out the, the tips of their epis and yeah, exactly. uh, making sure that the travel is absolutely perfect. Yeah. yeah, to actually notice that their coach is cleared off. Yeah, well, epi's epi at the end of the day. But yeah, yeah. But indeed. Yeah. Anyway, so enough of that. I suppose the main kind of administrative topic for the for this episode is the FIE decision on the on guard distance for Sabre. Mm-hmm. As Francis Chow mentioned when I when I spoke to her for the interview that we did for the last episode, back to four meters. Apparently, nobody surprised. I feel like I, and I, I told you so coming on because I never liked the four meters, and I always suspected it would actually go back. I always suspected it. Well, I thought one of two things were going to happen. Oh, sorry, you, you didn't like four meters, or you didn't like three. Meters. Oh, sorry, I didn't like the three meters. Sorry, the oh, really? okay. I never liked that. I never got my head around it properly, uh, and I've always thought that either it would go back to four meters, or everyone would have to fence at three. That was what was going to happen right. eventually. So I'm kind of glad that we the FI backed off that one. Would you have been bothered if um, Foyle and Epi had switched to a three meter on guard line? I think it would have had a bigger impact than people might have predicted. I might be wrong, but I suspect you would have seen some strange things happen. Right. Particularly in Epi where everybody's about 10 foot tall, apart from Max. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. You know, because you can see some really strange things right off the line. I mean, I don't know. There's no right way to govern who's going to hit who, is there? Mm-hmm. So you, you get this in a situation where either nobody moves or everybody moves, I think. If you right. bring them closer together, the risk is who's going to twitch first. Yeah. You play your cards, you either win or you lose. It's a gambit. Or or the other thing is everybody steps back to four meters and then starts fencing. Yeah, that's quite possible. You know, so you, nobody's achieving anything here. You've made the sport more, even more boring. You know, so <laughs> it's on guard, ready fence. Yeah. Fencers move away from yeah. each other. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe that's for Epi for me. I, I don't think the three meter thing would have worked very well. Right, I, I could have been wrong, but I'm glad we're never going to find out. <laughs> okay, so anyway, uh, I thought rather than us wildly speculating and just getting the. The sort of single letter that seems to have been sent out from the FIE about the, the change to the on-guard line is I thought I'd get in touch with our, our favourite Australian, mm-hmm. uh, Dave Baker, um, our man at the FIE, uh, and find out what he was up to, because he had his first FIE meeting uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, see what the news is from the, the corridors of power. And here's what he had to say. Dave Baker, uh, welcome back to the Fencing Podcast. Thanks for having me back. Um, so... Thought we'd catch up with you to, to find out what's been happening now that you've had your your first meeting of the FIE's promotion and publicity uh, commission, and to to get the news from the from the inside now that you're you're the podcast man in there. 
So t- tell me what's happening in uh, promotion and publicity from the, from the FIE's point of view. Yeah, so we had um, we had our first meeting of the commission uh, last last weekend in well, sorry, last last Friday in in Nice. This is normally a meeting that uh, takes place immediately after Congress, so we get a lot of housekeeping done. So that would normally happen sort of end of end of November in, in Moscow when we had Congress. But I guess for for reasons I'm not fully uh, fully aware of, it didn't happen. Uh, so we elected a president of the commission. So that's Nikolai Matiev of of Iceland. Um, we had a look at what the commission did over the last four years. And then I guess we've got a meeting in about a month at Junior World Championships and a big meeting in the summer, uh, somewhere in Eastern Europe, uh, to, to outline our plan for the next four years. Okay. So um, so this part is, is it just sort of um, working out what everybody's going to do within the, the commission and uh, setting out what your, what your agenda and the plans and things you have to look at for... Yeah, I guess... So, so we I got to look at... At, at all the documents that, that they produced over the last four years, and I guess what we need to work on is is, is what's already been implemented. So I don't know if you've seen, but uh, World Fencing Day. Yes, uh, I did see that. Happen. Yeah, first time this year uh, on the 9th of September. So I know we're going to have a fair amount of work and, and oversight of what the uh, head office is doing uh, to get people ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's supposed to be effectively a celebration of fencing Um uh, around around the world, I think very similar to the, the fencing flash mobs that did so well. Yeah, I think for the last three or four years. Okay, uh, and then and then yeah, and then we got to uh, I guess look forward, and so we have divided um, sort of the roles and, and 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 getting together our action points for the for the next for the next uh, Olympic uh, cycle. So I guess what I'm looking at mostly is a couple of things, but uh, online broadcasting, so the streaming of events. Right. Their reach, where there's room for improvement. I mean, the obvious, you know, low-hanging fruit there would be to try and get more graphics, more background, mm-hmm. tell more of a story. Um, and then also, I try and identify what we do well. Like I think the the uh, guest commentators at the moment, who are just athletes, I think at the competition, I think have gone really well. Yeah, so, so we, we've commented on that uh, that we've we've really enjoyed that that input, that sort of fresh fresh insight, and the and the, and the insiders' view as well on the on the sport. Uh, I think that's that's been a really good thing. Absolutely, it's always it's always a funny one though too because you know clearly there are athletes so you've got you know speaking to Lawrence or uh, Lawrence Halstead or Alexander Shupinich and you can tell uh, uh, even with, with Alex you know there were some some pointed questions and it's almost like it's a bit awkward because he wants to be on the on the podium you know he's only there in the commentary box because he's not fencing yeah so I thought I thought that was really uh, really interesting it worked really well but, but I don't know if there's a way to formalize that and. And it's just something to think about, but I think as well as, as a start, I think it's worked really well yeah. um, and bounces off, you know, the existing commentators there quite well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and then looking at the social media strategies as well, something I really want to focus on in the FIE. Um, I don't think there's a huge amount of, you know, community engagement. I don't think there's, just, you know, enough regularity with updating people for, say, the World Cups or the Junior World Cups like, yeah. like they do for the Grand Prix. I think the Grand Prix are fairly well broadcast on uh on social media, you know, and a week in advance where it's going to be, what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think we're the we're, we're uh, doing that across the board. So just just working out what the what the plan is, um, working with the social media manager in the office, just trying to make their lives as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know maybe we can speak to them about you know engaging more for um, community projects. You know, a lot of things I look at have a community update once a week or once a month. Um, you know, not not name dropping anything, but you're doing a very good 
good uh, thing in the fencing community. Thanks much. Last year, I was I was doing something, you know, for the Olympic qualification, and, and you know, none of that was ever recognised by the FIE. It yeah. wasn't even spoken about. Oh, really? Um, and so, well, you know, like I mean, obviously, people knew about it, and people, I'm sure, uh, you know, uh, no one talking about your podcast, but you know, th- there's no, you know, there's no summary online. This this is a good place. You know, it's not officially yeah. endorsed, but it's just this is something that our communities are doing because. You, know, you can't expect you know an office of seven or eight people in Lausanne to to create enough content to, to satisfy the entire fencing world, and you have yeah, lots of smart of people doing great things out there. Um, to be more community engagement, I think I'd like to see. But um, as you say, I've got a, a, a chance to sit down with the office in a junior world championships, which I'll be there as a referee anyway, so that's quite convenient. Yeah. And um, ahead of, of of really sitting down for our uh, our big meeting in the summer. Right. Right. Oh, that sounds well. That sounds, you're going to be kept busy at least. I think. Yeah, you're absolutely. Sitting around and I think the other the thing that we're looking forward to, you know, we're anticipating a lot in the summer is is getting some feedback after Rio. So, right. What the IOC will give every federation. Um, so, out of all the sports, there they'll give feedback and, and a ranking. So, uh, you can download the one from London. It's it's hugely comprehensive, but you're basically put into one of five buckets: A to E. Right. Uh, and you can imagine things like athletics and swimming yeah. are going to be A's, um, you know, and basically everything is a benchmark against the, I guess, 100-meter final. Yeah. Um, and, you know, these things, as you can imagine, are measured off like, TV audience, internet um, clicks, spectator numbers, uh, perception from spectators. Right. Is this a fun sport? Did I enjoy it? Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, so we were in category D for London. Okay. Uh, which is, you know, not as bad as modern pentathlon. Right. Who are creating. But, yeah, clearly, clearly some room for improvement. There. Yeah. So we'll, um, yeah, waiting in anticipation. And obviously this is critical because, you know, we need to, we need to be in the higher buckets to, to ensure our place at, at future Olympic Games. Yeah. And, 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 you know, really push for those extra two medals as well. So yes. Yeah, yeah, that would be. That would be the fairest thing. Uh, so. Yeah, certainly from our point of view, it would be. Um, I, I did hear rumours certainly in in Paris that uh, there's some heavy negotiating going on for yeah. um, those additional medals. I I, I've, heard, I've heard similar rumours. Uh, so, and you know, these is obviously from fencing people who are, you know, have a vested interest in in getting those extra medals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'd heard that 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 the office and 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 the president were pushing really hard. And and that it was going positively. So, right. Oh, uh, that's very encouraging. You know, that doesn't really seem in line with, you know, what I've seen from the IOC that wants to cut numbers and cut sports and make the Olympics cheaper to run. So, uh, gosh, if if it it's a if it happens, I'll be more than pleasantly surprised. I'll be ecstatic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so obviously, the, the kind of big story that emerged from the uh, the meeting in Nice was the. Uh, final decision, or it seems like a final decision, certainly on the um, on guard line for for Saber. Um, so uh, our trial with uh, well the uh, Russian box of death, and then a three meter on guard line has been been binned, and we're we're back to back to Sabra's starting from four meters apart again. Um, was that a, uh, as far as you're aware, anyway? Presumably, it was all happening in in roughly the same place. A, a reasonably straightforward decision, or was that? Um, you know, a, a big bun fight. Uh, no, I think uh, the impression I got, uh, so obviously I didn't sit in on the uh, executive committee meeting, uh, but as you say, I, I probably saw and spoke to 90% of them before the meeting. Um, I think you know, everyone's conclusion in the room was that 
it was going to go back. Right. Uh, but I couldn't quite pin down why. Okay. And I think I, I, I know you had you had uh, Francis uh, from Sea Saber on last week, and 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 I I think I've, I've followed her thoughts on it, and I think agree with most of it. I was not happy with it at the beginning, but seeing what Saber's become uh, at three meter distance, I've actually really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and my controversial, not well, maybe it's controversial, is why don't you why don't you move it to to all three weapons? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think it would, I mean, I think the change in the old guard line would have less impact to other weapons. So if you're going to have yeah. it at three meters for Sabre, uh, yeah. and I would agree with you, I've, I've enjoyed watching Sabre this year, which is, you know, a bit of a, a new sensation for me. Um, and then I watched the men's Sabre from Warsaw when they reverted back to four meters. And I, I couldn't help feeling that it wasn't, well, I, I didn't, I didn't feel that I enjoyed it as much. No, and again, I've just been watching some of the, uh, the uh, cadet and junior championships, either from from Asia or from Europe, and they're mm. still on the three meter timings. Yeah, I think you know, obviously, it's a different it's a different level of fencing the cadets compared to a senior World Cup. But I do think it's it's it, it, it's very exciting, and and I think you know, my perspective again, I'm not a saber expert, I'm a foil and epee referee, but you know, ninety nine percent of hits in you know starting at the on guard line and what what offences do is you know they take a step forward. Mm. So you could actually you could remove that. Start the engagement closer. Uh, you know, would if you're getting to especially an epee starting with blades that could nearly be engaged. Yeah, might be one of these solutions to to, to non combativity or fencing out of distance. But um, yeah, I think the biggest the biggest criticism that I saw in, in this of it and what sort of the impression I got was was one of the big concerns that that the, the executive had and then that the people in the commissions had uh, was the safety element. I don't right. think it's based off any data, but there were, you know, there were enough videos of, of some pretty heavy, you know, crunches with guards. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, this is, you know, why that, why maybe you keep it, still keep it for the junior and cadets because, you know, they, they're clearly just going to their zonal and, and world championships are the only, the only two competitions they have left. Yeah. And they're also not, you know, six foot seven, um, you know, full time yeah. athletes, you know. So certainly that was a, that was a familiar theme that, that people concerned about the, you know, the, the safety element. I don't think that was backed up by any injury data that I was aware of. Right. But just, um, a, just an impression yeah, of feeling. So that's gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's gone back to, back to four metres. Obviously, the timings change. Uh, the timing change stays because uh, that, was, that wasn't that was a trial. Yeah, that was probably that was a change. That, yeah. was, um, that was voted on Yeah. and stayed, uh, stays there. I think um, in terms of what else is bubbling under in terms of discontentment, I think the foil, uh, the foil guys are particularly unhappy with, the uh, uh, reversing shoulders uh, yeah. penalty. Um, and I hundred percent support that. Uh, you know, as a referee, you've got to you've got to enforce what the rules say. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you do see. I've seen some wonderful hits in Muslim Turin last year that got that got ruled out because uh, you know there was a, a, a in the in the close combat fighting there was a nanosecond where the you know the guy taking the remise reversed his shoulders for an instant. Yeah. Um, and I saw it being done kind of tactically as well with the, in the wrong spirit of it. So, you know, you'd see teams with coaches set up. I was looking in the background and they have coaches set up along the piece. Yeah. And they would flick a coach, they would flick a signal back to the, like watching all yeah. the way along. And that's the, they're so ruling things. Yeah. It's just And so then shouting out to, for the, for the guy to use his video. Yeah. Uh, and then gets a yellow card or a red card. And I don't think that's really in the spirit of the sport and, and not really, it's not really a good look either. 
No, I agree. Yeah, I, I don't think it's working well, and uh, I think the fact that it seems to be slightly, in, or well, not so much inconsistently applied. It's just that it's very difficult to spot when you're looking for other things as a as a referee. I can see that that's a that must be a nightmare to try and keep your eye on. Um, so then you get this tactical use of um, a call for a video review purely for the reversal of the shoulders, which you know, yeah. in amongst all the other stuff that's happening, you, you've not picked. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, I don't think it's great. Um, I'm not. I'm not but I guess it, the issue is, and, and the reaction, the reason for it coming back, because obviously it was a, it was a penalty until, oh gosh, I want to say maybe 2005, 2006. Yeah, sounds or, about right. Uh, was that you know the covering target with with the back arm and sort of the uh, wasn't being called, mm-hmm. um, or not being called to the level that uh, people people wanted it to be called. So the way around that was just to say, well, there's, you've just got no chance of bringing your you know upper arm and shoulder around. Okay. Uh, which yeah, maybe a little bit of a you know using a sh- sledgehammer to crack a walnut. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, there's a you know I don't like calling it, but those are the rules at the moment. So yeah. hopefully we'll get a, a proposal in in November when we have Congress to to change that rule. Yeah. Be, speaking from from a referee's point of view, not an official's point of view. Yes, I mean I would, I would yeah I would I would agree with that as well. I would I would probably like to see the back of that rule change. I don't think, I don't think it's working. Yeah. I don't think it's working. So, any anything else good? Any good uh, dirt or gossip or uh, news that we might have missed? Uh, no, not a lot. Um, the only one I've seen on the FIA website, and I knew that it's it's, it's been it's been a bit hush hush, but I'll try and I'll try and dig in and get a bit more information at Junior World Championships. I saw on the FIA website the last couple of days they've uh, said that they've put together a working group on non combativity in Epe. Mm, yeah, which you know I know is one of your pet uh, uh, points. So it's not really. I'm, I'm sure it will. You know, the, the proposal will be to change the rules, but it's not really looking at you know the the application of the penalty. It's actually trying to stop inactive fencing. Yeah, it's probably getting goal. to that stage. So, yeah, and I know you guys have been very vocal about your you know matches finishing nine hits to to, to four or something. So uh, yeah, <laughs> the one the ones that finished three 17, two. 18, you know, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think. Um, I mean, I, I know as a fencer, I've occasionally fenced in low scoring, particularly team matches to be fair um, and I think it's actually worse in team matches because it lasts so long <laughs> you know, if you get non in a in an individual fight, well at least you've only got, you know, five minutes worth of that before you actually get down to the serious business but, uh, you know, a nine leg really um, with a whole load of non combativity and that is, is extremely dull watching and that's, nobody really wants that and it's not fun to fence in either. No. No, not at all. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. I know. Um, I know everyone that's on that uh, on that working group, and because I'm not at zonal championships, so I can't I can't quiz any of them. But I'll see them at junior worlds in in a bit under a month. So if I get any more uh, information on that, I'll let you know. Good stuff. Look forward to that. Well, Dave, um, I'll I'll not quiz you right now since that was the first meeting, and you just it was largely a, a sort of housekeeping affair about mm. how you got on with um, ensuring that the FIE sponsor existing fencing podcasts. Um, but you know, I will be sure to bring it up the next time we chat. Okay. Of course, absolutely. Wouldn't expect anything else. <laughs> of course, Dave. Thanks very much again for for joining us, and uh, I hopefully speak to you again before too long. Absolutely, can't wait. Okay, thanks. Thanks. And there we go. Uh, Dave sounds as uh, charming as usual. There, I think. Yeah, of course, he's a very charming, charming young man. Um, so yeah, getting into the getting into the day to day business mm-hmm. of the being on a, an FIE commission. Um, I'm sure we'll get more updates from them as well yeah. uh, at some, some later point in the season. So it sounds like they don't meet up terribly often. So, no. you know, I think we'll try and 
uh, grab him after each one of those to find out what's happening. The only thing I noticed, though, that when I was speaking to him, he, again, he kind of didn't immediately pick up on an FIE-sponsored podcast. I don't know what we're going to have to do there. We're going to have to maybe find someone else who's interested in... Uh, a different way in, yeah. A different way in. A diff- someone else who wants to popularise the sport. And, uh, oh. Who do we know that does that? Yuki Ota. We should phone him. I'll, let's, I'll, let's, get him on, let's get him on the blower. Yeah, I'll, I'll get on, on his case. Yeah. And... Uh, Time for some results. I think so, yes. Yeah, I had a mind blank there. <laughs> you did. Yeah, I thought you'd kind of grown to a halt. Yeah, my batteries have run out. Yeah. Um, so once again, cadets and juniors, I'm afraid uh, we're largely going to ignore you because uh, next time out we're going to do our preview before the World Cadet and Junior Championships, which happened at the beginning of April. Um, what has been happening? Well, at the moment we're in the middle of the European Cadet and Junior Championships, the Pan American. Cadet and Junior Championships yep. are going on at the moment, and the Asian Cadet and Junior mm-hmm. Championships have just finished. Uh, so absolutely tons and tons and tons of results there that we could cover, but really there's just so much that we're, we're not going to. No, we'd be here all day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there will be a, a, a window of opportunity uh, to, to talk about Cadets and Juniors before the World Championships, and then obviously once that's finished, we'll have mm-hmm. loads to say about that. The only bits of results that I am going to mention, though, are, from an entirely selfish point of view, uh, the British results at the European... Uh, cadet Championship, some great results there. Bronze medals in Women's Cadet Foil for yep. Yasmin Campbell. Uh, bronze medal in Women's Cadet Epi mm-hmm. uh, for Laura Sheffield. Yes, good, uh, good one. Uh, and a silver medal for the, the Women's Cadet Epi team. Yes, that was very good. So, yeah, um, good, good haul of medals. I think probably our best for, for quite a long time. Yes. Uh, when was the last time? So It's been a while, I think. I, yeah. can't, I can't think. It's that long. You know, my poor memory is stretched. Yeah, so good stuff. Uh, so on to some senior results now. Um, mm-hmm. Not nearly as manic as it was last time out when we had you know, what seemed like a million senior results to cover. Uh, just the three senior World Cups uh, that have happened since our last outing. So what will we start with? You want to start? Well, Gab, okay, I'm going to give you a moment of glory. <laughs> Men's Epi World Cup in Vancouver. Yes. Tell me what happened because I really want to know. Uh, wow, well, I mean like... Where where did we start? It was just it was such a great event, and why was it great? Because Max won it. Hurrah! I can hardly tell you how happy I am. <laughs> I, I was really happy. I mean, come on. When yeah. was the last time Max won one? I think even he said it was it'd been a while, but it has. You know, well done, Max. Yeah, I, I did quite studiously not contact you on Facebook or Messenger <laughs> or text or anything when they saw the results coming in. It was just I was hoping it would just pass by and it would no. all be over. No, um, I did notice. Yeah, so well, I mean, well done, Max. I, I did watch this, actually. Um, pretty well, i kind of forgotten how, for all the jumping around that he does, that quite a lot of fencing is a lot of his fencing is quite dull. I mean, he, he does quite regularly look for a bit of non-combativity and, you know, to, to speed the fight along. Um, well, why not? I mean, what he's doing there is he's obviously... You can only jump around for so long, and you're going to run. You're going to have no, nothing left in the tanks, and you're going to get beaten. I, I feel like it's just become standard epi really. That sometimes people will just go, "I don't think I can win this straight away. I'm just going to back off." We'll, we'll maybe, we'll maybe win it. Moment, in a, yeah. yeah, we'll maybe win it in the last minute instead. I mean, okay. You know my my feelings are non competitivity anyway, but it does. Yeah, do they're pretty strong. Oh yeah, that was the other thing I forgot to mention. Bothered Dave to to see about you know my suggestion for electrifying epias that are boring. <laughs> How you oh, yeah. thought that would go down at FI level? Yuki might be open to it. I would have thought so. Well, as long as it's only atheist, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> um, yeah, actually, I thought the, the interesting thing about this weekend, 
aside from Max winning, obviously, yeah. was uh, some of the other results. There's um, some really interesting uh, names in amongst there. Yeah. I mean, number two. Should we start with that one? Yeah, definitely. Uh, what we've got here is we've got uh, Junior Rater of uh, Cuba. Yeah. And now, Cubans don't get out very much. No. no um, they don't. Because, well, Cuba's broke mm-hmm. and Cuba fencing, uh, Cuban fencing, even more so has, you know, really no money at all. Um, well, this guy's actually really interesting. He could have won in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. He was really close. He was ahead by a few hits, about three hits up at one stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be fair, Max did hit him when the scores were level in in extra time with a you know a really well timed yes. uh, attack on preparation, which was which was nice. Um, but uh, Rator has fenced at no World Cups or Grand Prix this year. Mm-hmm. Um, he won the Pan American Championships last year. And there's some good fencers in the Pan American. Yeah, he beat, beat um, was it Jason? Jason Pryor. Jason Pryor in the mm-hmm. final, and there's guys like Lamardo in there, and yeah. various other very competent APSs. Um, so he won that. Second here, uh, he's currently up to 18th in the world rankings, based on two results. Now, this this is this is a trend we're seeing in FPS, isn't it? Is fencers coming from nowhere at the moment? And doing really, really well. They're just coming literally from nowhere. Well, the thing is, for most of the others where that's been the case, and, and I agree, there have been some who've you know appeared and then will you know turn up at the next few and uh, you know will will not exactly make up the numbers, but they're not not close to winning again. Yeah. Whereas here, here's a guy with a strike rate of two two competitions akin towards your world ranking, yeah. and he's got a first and a second. Do you know anything about him? Because I don't recognise him at all. Well, I, I went looking for his previous results. Um, Last season, the only thing he did was the Pan American Championships. The season before that, I don't think he did anything that counted towards World Cups. The season before that, he made the last eight of the Pan American Championships. Before that, I can think I think saw maybe a couple of results ever I mean, in his entire career. Nice. Let's have a look at his. He was birth. His birthday's in '86. He's been around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's not. He's not a kid. Yeah. But I mean, if the FIE are serious about developing the sport. Cuba now counts as a country that needs developing fencing wise. It's got you know, it's got a massive fencing tradition, but they now literally have no cash at all. I mean if well if the FI had spare money, you know, like a spare mm-hmm. ten grand, they should be getting him and his coach yeah. to like the World Cup in Budapest, make sure he's able to defend his uh, his title at the at the Zonal Championship. See, and make sure he's at the World Championship. I'm gonna have to see if I can find this guy because I'm really curious to know if he does in fact uh, train in Cuba. Uh, the reason for that is that I read a couple of articles. Of, well, obviously, Richard was there, and Richard did the nice yep. documentary about Cuba. Um, I've actually found an article which I read a while back now, a journalist called Jonathan Green, who went out and trained in Cuba. Right. And the, the fencing cell that he trained in had no floor. It was it was earth. Right. And uh, everybody was training with sticks, like canes and yep. things like that, because that's all literally all, it was so poor that's all they had. Um, but what he what he said he found there was that. Um, Fencing was seen as obviously a way out of the... If they could find a way to get people out into the international stage, it was, it's a bit like baseball. Mm-hmm. It was maybe a way out of poverty for these guys. And right. So they were really driven. So I'd be very curious to know a little bit more about uh, where this guy's training, okay. or whether or not he is actually in Cuba, or is he in America? And is he... You know, he's he's fencing for Cuba, but is he really, you know, Canadian, American, or somewhere else, you know, France or something like that? Okay. I'd be really curious to know that. Right. Mm, I honestly don't know. I would have thought that Cuban fencing would want their fencers from at home. It's a very Cuban sounding name. It is, but they, they have opened up though. And uh, yeah, yeah. Although not, it's not been that long. I, it's it's curious. It's it's very very curious to me that we've not not. I've never heard of this guy. Mm. 
but I'm sure we can find something out about. Yeah, and the other kind of oddity there, oddity, that's a bit harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, Voronin from uh, Finland, uh, yep. finish, finishing third as well. Now he's a name that I recognise though. Um, just looking at his, let's have a look at him. He's from '89, but the name's actually really familiar to me. All right, okay. Uh, I think I've come across him in the past at some point. Yeah, I mean, I watched a little bit of him fencing. Um, not the most coordinated athlete you'll ever see, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it looked like a man having. Is a... he bald by any chance? Yes. Yeah, I think I've met him. In fact, yeah, he's he's tall, gangly, left-handed, mm-hmm. but yeah, fenced very well to, mm-hmm. to finish third. Um, Yannick Burrell has become the the new Max in a sort of perpetual uh, bridesmaid mm-hmm. rather than the bride. <laughs> yeah, uh, lost it to Max in the semi-final. Mm-hmm. But uh, still, Yannick's doing pretty well. You know, he's he's, yeah, he's consi- a, yeah, yeah, trying uh, to get consistent results at the moment. I, I don't think he's done done worse than something like a last eight so no. far this season. So no. super reliable. I just looking through the, the the just sort of remind myself of the results from Vancouver as well. I mean, if you look at the defensive that uh, Rita put out to get into the semis, it was uh, Yamada of Japan. Yep. Which is you're a big fan. solid. Big fan yeah, Japanese yep, yep. I was actually looking through, there's just plenty of Japanese guys in this ranking list. Yep. You know, so the top one obviously is Yamada, but you know, my my one of my favourite guys is in here. He's uh, Oh Kano. Oh uh, no 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 no. Uh no Kano's not in this list. We've only got the top top thirty two ish here. Yeah uh, Uyama. He oh was, yes. he was the guy that really got me into the Japanese uh, last time around. And then just outside of the thirty two we've got Minobi. So the one that's missing is Kano. All right. So I might need to go and okay. track down exactly where he fell down. But uh, looking back at uh, Vjornan, he actually put out uh, Daniel Durant in the last eight. Yep. He did, and he put out one of the good Italians as well in the last 16. I watched that one. Might have been, I can't be absolutely sure here. Quick squint through results. Da-da-da. Ah, Pizzo, I think it was. Ah, right. Okay. Uh, uh, very comfortably. Um, Pizzo was going nuts. He did it again. He, he looked much better fencer, but you know, couldn't hit Vjornan for... To save himself, and uh, Vornan ran a, a really comfortable winner in that fight. It's one of those things in Epi where you, some people are just your kryptonite. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, but there must—I mean, there must have been a few along the way. Just sometimes it happened. Well, yeah. Welcome to Epi, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other, the other surprise thing from the, the weekend in Vancouver mm-hmm. was the team event. That's right. And now, which team do we think won the team event? Well, I mean, it is Epi, so uh, you know, do you want me to pick a name out of a hat or? <laughs> Well, they're not exactly unknown to Epi. I mean, we do hear some good fences for these guys. It was the Czech Republic. Yeah, or, as they are now known, recently adopted their, their kind of short D2D name. Czechia. 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 Yeah. It's still done as Czech Republic on, yeah. the, uh, yeah. <laughs> on the FIE website. It, I think it's, that's one of those name changes going to take a while to, to get around. So no offence to any yeah. Czechs who, who hear me say this, but I might occasionally say Czech Republic all the time rather than Czechia. Uh, yeah, again, I watched. I watched the final of this. This was a, a final with a whole load of non-combativity, and then an absolute flurry of hits at the end. So the final score was um, Czechia winning forty thirty-five against Ukraine. That's pretty solid, though. Um, it was. Uh, they got to last. I mean, they must have been pretty close to fifteen to twenty hits on each side mm-hmm. um, in the in the final fight. Right. So uh, up to that, had been. Extremely patient stuff from both sides. Uh, really... <laughs> like you're used to the word patient. Do you yeah, mean boring? Uh, <laughs> uh, probably a word that we used often enough in the last one when describing yeah. the, the various Epi World Cups. It, it wasn't a thriller, but um, delighted for Czechia yeah. to, uh, to, to claim the win there. Especially after we were sort of slightly, I don't know, we were dismissive of, of them perhaps. I think they finished third, at one of the, third or fourth at one of the World Cups earlier Yeah, they the did. Um, I don't think we were dismissive of the Czech Republic. 
they're one of the they're one of those nations where they're on that periphery where we know that there's epi out there, but the you know they don't they don't set the world afire all the time. You no, know. okay, no, that's fair enough. So yeah, that was a yeah a good day out for them, and they mm-hmm. did look thoroughly delighted as well. Excellent, they won. Excellent. What's next, Sean? Uh, I think time for uh, a bit of women's sabre. Now, this is going to be your uh, fencing pub quiz, quiz question in future years, of course. Okay. What was the last senior event uh, to be run on the three metre on guard line? And, of course, it was the women's epi in Athens. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I, I watched quite a bit of this. Okay. My, my, my new role is our, God help us, our sabre correspondent. <laughs> um, well, and you are a convert. Yep, I am. Yeah, not a particularly knowledgeable convert, but mm-hmm. uh, again, I did enjoy. It. I have really enjoyed the women's saber events so far this season. Cool. I'll be interested to see what it looks like when it reverts to being four meters again. Okay, uh, whether that's going to have a, a negative impact. But uh, our, our winner here was um, Anna Marton of Hungary. Oh, well done. Uh, apparently, first win for her at senior level. Uh, mm-hmm. She's been been close at a few things, and certainly she's she's medalled a few times mm-hmm. uh, this season already. And a really convincing performance, actually. She uh, beat Manon Bruni in the final. Pretty comfortably, fifteen eleven. She looked well in control of things, and again, plenty of variety. Whether that was, you know, that's just the nature of uh, women's saber generally, or whether that's a uh, a bonus from the three meter on guard line. Well, as I say, I'll, I'll have to wait and see, um, but I will be paying close attention to that. Um, another good good day for the French women's sabers, who seem to be um, on the on the up very much. With uh, Bruni finishing second this time, uh, Charlotte Lembach taking third, and. Uh, I realised actually that we've we've kind of barely mentioned the Korean women's sabers, but Jeon Kim, and even though we've had to say quite a few times because she's won tons of medals mm-hmm. at the World Cup, yep. um, again was on the podium here. Oh, well done! So, sort of, but sort of underlining the fact that we think the Koreans are becoming near dominant. Um, well, not not dominant. It's maybe that's maybe overstating um, it, but sort of pervasive. Yeah. They're they're, they're yeah. kind of everywhere. Uh, the only the only bit that's kind of letting them down at the moment is um, their their foilists are not quite so strong. I think I mean they had one. I think they're medalist. Yeah, definitely they're medalist in Paris. Um, I'm not sure that the women have won any medals so far this oh, season. Right. Okay. So that's maybe their kind of weak link at the moment is mm. the the foil side of things. But yeah, the we mention Koreans every time. Yeah, pretty much every time we talk about. Um, Saber Epi. Yeah. So yeah, another, another strong, strong performance uh, from Jeon Kim. So yeah, so that was the, as I say, the last, the last of our three metre fencing. Apart, of course, from the cadets and juniors who are keeping the three metre on guard line until after the cadet and junior world championships, yeah, and then, they're and then after that they're yeah. back to four metres. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the team event, well, before we move on, uh, was Arigo at this one? Yes. So she didn't make it into that. We've only got the 32 round in here, so we should make it into the 32. Um, I'm, I think, actually, this one, she did make it into the 64. Yeah. Take her a while to get used to fencing the Sabre, then, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it would have been nice for, mm-hmm. you know, a kind of curiosity, a story for her to just come start charging through mm-hmm. the Sabres and, you know, be winning medals by by this stage of the season. But I think this is only her third yeah. World Cup or Grand Prix. She missed one because she was ill. Um, and didn't happen for her here. But I mean, yeah, you're right. It'll, it'll take time. Yeah, we'll, we'll continue to keep an eye on our on our progress as a as a sabrar. Um, she just seems to she does seem determined to, to tough it out and, and give it a proper go to see if it's possible. I, I'm still, I'm still. It's a good watch. We have to we have to keep an eye out for her. Yeah, sorry, I yeah. skipped that one. Yeah, and just before we go on as well, other sort of notable people here are the USA. Now, I would expect them to have been more dominant by now, but I still see them not making yeah, it into it's the still 16. Not no. No. Um, the team's not quite firing it, is it? I'm, I'm not quite sure why exactly. Um, I mean, they're, they're still uh, still missing Marielle Skunis, mm-hmm. still not 
not had a, uh, had any sight of her in the World Cup circuit so far. Um, and the rest of the American team so far haven't really really produced any sort of result. Um, and yeah, you're right. So, you know, you, you might say at the start of the season, well, that's that's okay, there's plenty of time, but we're, you know, kind of almost two-thirds of the way through the season now. And I think the best women's saber result from the USA has mm-hmm. been our last, our last eight in New York. Okay. So yeah, not, perhaps not quite quite time to panic just yet, but yeah, yeah. if it gets to, you know, the World Cup and Grand Prix season finished and heading in towards the World Championships and mm-hmm. things haven't picked up, you might you might be wondering what's going on there. Yeah, I'm just I'm just curious because it wasn't that long ago you see were completely dominant. Uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, early adopters in, in women's saber mm-hmm. dominated for a long time. Marielle Sagunas, obviously, you know, double Olympic gold mm-hmm. medalist. Um, yeah, I think they I think they do miss her. I think uh, her absence kind of mm-hmm. um, highlights how perhaps how reliant they've been on her yeah. to, to, to leave the USA. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm quite looking forward to that actually to see how she uh, she hope, how she copes with the kids that have uh, sort of dominated in her yeah. in her absence in the early part of the season. Um and in the team event, uh, a win for Russia. Oh cool. Narrow victory uh, against Korea, a forty five forty four. Yeah, you know, a nail biter. Um I mean the thing about forty five forty four is exciting in most most weapons, um, Epi occasionally not. Well, it depends how you get to the forty-five, forty-four. Yeah, exactly. But th- this this was a good one to finish off with, um, and rush on top of the podium. Yeah. And then quick switch in saber mm-hmm. uh, to the mains. One week later, it's all changed. We're back to four meters. Really? So yeah, proper pencil. Mains. <laughs> oh god, such a peasant. Yeah. Um, although. Uh, Perhaps if you're at the sort of top end of, of senior men's saber, that may be exactly what you're thinking. Because uh, in Warsaw, uh, Francis Chow again was, was saying that um, Warsaw was fully prepared for the return to four metres. They hadn't even bothered to mark up the piece for, th- for three metre on guard lines. He said, it'll, it'll be back to four metres, it'll be fine. Well, funny how they do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, familiar thesis at, at, at the top of the... Mm-hmm. At the top of the results, um, Young Wan Kim, world number one, yep. uh, takes the win, beating Aaron Shalagi mm-hmm. in the final. Uh, fairly comfortable win, 15 11. Um, far more variety from Shalagi. People who grumble about men's saber being too reliant on physical attributes rather than technical skills uh, wouldn't have been consoled at all to see uh, Kim back at the top of things because he was just as. Uh, physically impressive and slightly terrifying as he's always been, um, <laughs> and I'm sure he sort of looks back on the, the whole three meter experiment, you know, yeah, as, as well. Thank goodness that's over. Yeah. Um, now I can chop people in two again. Yeah, you know, um, Gil also on the on the podium. So yeah, yeah all, all familiar faces back at the top mm-hmm. of things after some sort of topsy turvy results um, earlier on. Uh, that's certainly Kim's first win of the season. That may be Schlaggy's first podium. I mean, it's a it's a return to kind of as as you were, yeah, um, yeah, and the only kind of upset in this in there, I suppose, was the Hungarian um, Sana Gamesi, mm-hmm. who, who actually podiumed at one of the ones earlier on. Yes. I can't remember, which can't remember which one it was either, but yeah, I remember the name. Um, and the other one, other source of delight for you, yes, Aberdeen, go, yeah, our favourite Iranian finished fifth, and as I was saying, I think it's before we started, I think that moves him up to fourth in the world yeah. rankings now. He's on a roll. I mean, that's a, that's a guy that's definitely. Yeah, whatever he's doing, whenever he's training, he's doing it right because you know, who'd have, who'd have thought this time last year we'd be talking about an Iranian? But there we go. 
See, I get my usual call out for someone, 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 <laughs> someone must, must know these guys. Must do. Uh, speak, to to us. speak to us, tell us what they do. Yeah. Um, and in the team event, uh, one of the teams that, you know, when I asked Francis about who, who seemed to benefit and who was on the up with uh, the three metre fencing, she did say that largely, you know, there was no huge changes mm-hmm. um, in terms of that. Apart from Romania seemed to be going backwards at, at great pace under under the three metre fencing. Right. So back to four metre fencing. <laughs> Romania have won the first team event. <laughs> yeah, well, there we go. Um, so, yeah. Is that the first time you've mentioned Romania, in fact? I'm thinking about this uh, since we started doing this. Is this the first time I think we've seen. In Sabre, yes. Yeah. The. They've done the stuff, stuff in women's epic they've happened. We've mentioned mm. them a couple of times. But I don't think in men's sabre we've mentioned them. No, they've, they've really been uh, very quiet while the whole three-metre mm-hmm. three experiment uh, burns itself out. Yeah. And then as soon as, as soon as they're done with that, yeah, okay, we're back to being a competitive team again. Um, cl- close wins, uh, final hit wins in the semi-final and the final, mm-hmm. uh, beating... Uh, beating Hungary in the semi-final and Italy in the final. Cool. Uh, so, cool. yeah, welcome back, Romania. Don't worry about the fact that for the things that's been going on at three metres for the last last six months, it's it's all fine again. I wonder if they guessed that this would be what would happen. I just didn't bother training. I just, <laughs> I just sucked it up for a while. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah. We'll just wait till this is over. Yeah, we can get back to it. Um, so that about covers it for our our senior results. I'd say a little a little quieter than than the last one was. Um, so yeah, a regular topic for us, um, British Fencing's World Class Programme. Um, right. Again, we're going to get yeah a little more um, local looking. Yes. Uh, latest news was after the funding decision to uh, by UK Sport to withdraw British Fencing's uh, funding for its World Class Programme, the British Fencing were able to, to make an appeal, but although it was pretty much an appeal to UK Sport again, mm-hmm. who perhaps entirely predictably uh, stuck by their initial decision. So uh, no change there. Um, to get a bit more background on where we are and how things have happened and what the successes have and what we've got to look forward to, yep. um, I got in touch with British Fencing CEO, mm-hmm. um, Georgina Usher, and uh, here's what she had to say. So Georgina, uh, welcome to the Fencing Podcast. Hello, Sean. Um, well, obviously I'd like to have interviewed and interviewed you in happier times for, for British Fencing, but... Um, Obviously, with the, the news recently that uh, British Fencing has lost its funding from UK Sport uh, for the World Class Programme, um, it's probably not the case, really. But I thought what I would start with is um, if you could tell us about the history of the World Class Programme and the evolution over, of it over the time that it's it's been in existence. Yes. Yeah, so, um, uh, yeah, as you rightly say, it, it's not a great time for the sport at, at the moment, but certainly... Um, Looking back over the last 10 plus years, when we, um, in 2004, uh, following Richard's result in Athens, um, that was the first time that the British fencing was funded by UK Sport. However, um, coming out of 2008, we actually lost a world-class programme, which was a sort of no-compromise investment funding, but benefited from some extra funding put in place for London 2012. And this funding was really targeted at sports that were not considered medal winners um, to allow them to um, keep going with a programme to- towards London 2012. Um, but at that time, and I think you remember back then, we didn't have any world championship results. Yeah. And of course, in order to get world-class programme funding, you you know you need to show that you are on a trajectory to making world and Olympic medals. 
So UK Sport um, were pretty clear to British Fencing that if we were going to continue to receive money post-London, that, that we had to do two things. Um, and firstly, and probably least excitingly for, for the audience, we had to significantly improve our governance. Um, and secondly, we had to implement a recognisable world-class programme um, and demonstrate how we could put a longer-term, more sustainable system in in place that would allow um, cohorts of athletes to come through on a trajectory to world and Olympic medals. Um, so since then, um, a significant amount of work was done where we put the foundations of the programme and the governance structure in place. And this was recognised by UK Sport back in 2013 with a world-class programme award, which covered the 13 to 17 cycle, yeah. which took us up to Rio and actually takes us up to uh, the end of March of this year, you know, and that's where I came in. And I think that for me, the most upsetting point about the position is we're in is that between 2012 and 2016, we British fencing and our athletes and coaches and staff met every target and award condition that was set as part of getting money for UK sport. Mm. So the position we find ourselves in now is incredibly tough, but isn't because we failed in some way to do what, what we said and what we set out to, and indeed what we were asked to do by UK Sport. Mm -hmm. Have the, do you feel that the goal, goalposts have been shifted slightly in the in the time between the, the last award and the, the latest <laughs> announcement? Is that is that uh, an unfair question, or is that actually? Seems no, I, don't, I don't think that's unfair, and I I don't know if it's so much goalpost shifting or the world changing. I think if you had asked anybody in UK sport, maybe in the 12 months of the run up to Rio, would they have been able, you know, would they have thought they would have come back with so many medals and so many different sports? Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody would have committed to that. We, we had as a, as a nation, a phenomenal Olympics yeah. and the reality of the number of sports coming back with medals and, and having world-class programs that were delivering those medals meant that when you get put and the way funding works, you get banded. Um, and I won't go into it in great detail, but we're sitting in band four, which is a possible medal, and band three is a probable medal. Yeah. And the difference between possible and probable, when you get put in a long list and you, they, they fund very much by affordability, it's top down. So the people who are going to guarantee us lots of medals, they get the money they need and it, you know, you go down. And so it, it I, I don't know if if, the, if you call it goalpost shifting or you just say, well, you know, circumstances are such that the world changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in the, in that banding, I mean, certainly in fencing, it would be very difficult for many nations, apart from ones who would, where they have umpteen yeah. possibilities of winning medals, to say a probable medal is something you could you could define it as. I mean, you could perhaps pick five nations. They would say exactly. probable medal or yeah. certainty of virtual certainty of medal. Yes. Everybody else, yeah, it's not. Yeah, couldn't couldn't really say that with any any great confidence. Yes. Yeah, and I, think, and I think that's important to note because UK Sport and have made it very clear to us um, that, that not funding us is is not a sign that they don't believe that our med that our athletes don't have the possibility to medal. Mm -hmm. That's not what they're saying. It's just as a sport, are we a possible or a probable? Yeah. And it absolutely also, um, they they went out of their way to point out that they 
they very much saw the British Fencing World Class Programme as a very successful investment that had and, and had delivered on what it set out to achieve. So, so what would the what's a world class program look like? I mean, I've I've been lucky in some ways to to get a bit of insight into it. I've had athletes involved that you know I'd report back and say this is this is what we do and you know this is where we train and this is who we work with. Mm. Uh, but it's perhaps something that a lot of people aren't aren't aware of and how how a world class program works. Can you you give us a bit more insight into that? Yeah, I think there are two elements really. So, first of all, the world class program itself is is a program set up to ensure that there is there are services wrapped around athletes for example their coaching their training competition support medical sports science strength and conditioning sports psychology nutritionists and access to the best facilities that the uk and sometimes the world has to offer so on the one hand you've got this this, you know, and it is. It does what it says on the tin. It is a world-class program that that an athlete or a cohort of athletes can can be part of. And on the other side, they also put funding directly to the athletes in in forms of a, what they call APAs, athlete performance awards. And this is funded by the national lottery and paid directly to the athletes. And that is about contributing to their to their own living and sporting costs to enable them to be part of the programme. And I think those the, the linkage between those things are very important because it's about what the NGB has to do and the athlete has to do. So, for example, the, the, the public funding um, through UK Sport and the Lottery, it comes with specific conditions. So they don't just say, well, oh, we think you're great here, have a massive um, you know, pot of money and off you go. They will be quite clear about what they expect you to use the money for. And in submitting for that money, they go into an immense amount of detail about exactly what we're going to be using the money for. And I do mean down to the number of hours of nutritional support that's been provided to every single athlete. It's at that level of detail. So it is not sort of, you know, oh, well, just, you know, give us a little bit of money and we'll choose how how we think it will go. It's very, 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 a lot of very detailed work goes into these submissions. Um, and then on the other side, in terms of the athlete, when an athlete gets a, an APA, that they are essentially committing to UK sport that they will participate in that program. So what doesn't happen is you kind of go, well, I'll take my APA, but I, well, yeah, well, I'll just take a little bit of that training, and I don't fancy, you know, the nutritionist support or I don't want to do the strength and conditioning it actually doesn't work like that you, it, it's kind of you're in it and you buy into it and and you do it that way or you don't hmm. um, and there is a choice but I think there's a perception that the APA and the money is flexible and you get it if you're really good and you get it as a reward and it and it can be used for other things yeah but it but it it that's absolutely not how it works yeah so with with the the announcement from UK Sport, where where does that leave um, British fencing now? What's our what's our position? Um, so right now, what what's happening since the announcement? UK Sports, trans, what they call their transition team, have been working with us, and what they have done is helped us. Um, if you, it, it's awful to say this, but they are helping us to close the program down. Hmm. So they're coming in and in doing so, they don't want 
um, you know, either the athletes or or British fencing to encounter huge, you know, it's a huge financial issue um, as a result of World Class Programme coming to an end. So they have been helping and supporting us through that process. And within that, they've made some additional funding available. And we have been applying for that. We actually applied for funding on behalf of all our athletes. But there's a certain set of criteria. It's not to do with performance, the, the, you know, the pots of money that were available to us. And certain two of our athletes, we've managed to get additional funding for to help and support them between the 1st of April and the World Championships. But that was very much around sort of conditions about transition rather than results driven award, if you like. Right. Um, so that the transition work takes us. So 1st of April, technically, the program stops. Mm-hmm. We've got some activity that's funded by UK Sport. Beyond that, I mentioned um, a couple of athletes being able to benefit from that, still working through some of that with UK Sport, but we've also got some support in place to help us, uh, you know, as I said, bring that bring that program to an end and tidy up the, uh, if you like, the paperwork and dot the I's and cross the T's. Um, so that's kind of that. It doesn't sound very... I don't enjoy talking about that particular piece because it saddens me greatly that we're having to do it. Yeah. yeah. But then moving on, and this is where it's more interesting, it's where do we go next? Yeah, definitely. And I, and I, I don't feel that just because we don't have funding, we've lost everything. No, well, I certainly... didn't. Yeah. Sorry, Sean. No, no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in terms of looking forward, we are very lucky to have had a tremendous amount of research that went into structuring our world-class program. And part of that is a, a model called the What It Takes to Win model. Mm-hmm. And what we will be doing with that model is looking to embed it in other areas of what we do to ensure that we can push that back in through to the athletes to help them. So, for example, can we embed that into coach education? Can we embed it back into the talent programme that we will, that's funded by Sport England? And how do we help the next generation of athletes benefit from at least the knowledge that we have gained in running a world-class programme, yeah. even if they don't obviously have access to the resources? Yeah, so, so what sort of things in, included in that, uh, in that framework yeah. This, well, this what it, it takes to win. What, what does it take to win? Well, that is probably a, a subject of um, a whole other podcast when it comes <laughs> to fencing. And, um, you know, and I would say, quite frankly, that it's, it's not rocket science, Sean. When you look at the um, services that, that were offered to athletes as part of the World Class Programme, they were exactly the same services that I wrapped around myself in Oh, going back into a short time ago, yes. Showing my age. So it is. It is about edge. It is partly about education to say, well, these things really do matter because when you get to top level fencing, it's you often refer people refer to what are the margins, but you do. You know, you're competing against other athletes that are super fit, other athletes that are eating the right stuff other athletes that have got help from sports psychologists and um, nutritionists 
And I think that if you want to beat the best in the world, you have, I believe, you have to sort of look at all of the ways that you can be a better athlete and work, you know, work out how you can access those services. And that's where the tough bit comes in, because a world class program would have given you that access. Mm. Whereas now you sit there and go, okay, well, how am I going to find a physio or a nutritionist or a strength and conditioning expert? But we do, again, and this is the thing we've had, we've, we've got resources and research. And when people can find resource, and we perhaps can help with that, and by, and by resource, I mean either money or people, then we can at least transfer some of that knowledge over. Yeah. Yes, I think, I think you're right. It's important that um, with the world-class programme coming to an end, that we don't lose all the knowledge and experience that we gained during that time. Uh, and it just, you know, it closes the doors and nothing, nothing more is, is done with it. So yeah, it's, it's good to see exactly. that, 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 that knowledge is going to be, um, has been gathered together and is, is going to be passed on for, for fencers to, you know, look at themselves and say, well, yeah. am I prepared to commit myself to all of those things if I want to, to reach the top level? And here's a guide to how to do it as well. I think that's, that's, exactly. that's very good news. Exactly. And the board, certainly, since we've lost funding, have done quite a bit of work at looking at the overall strategy and objectives of British fencing. And we are now being tasked with delivering the framework for success as opposed to the programme for success. They're slightly different. As mm-hmm. you say, it's about putting in place a um, you know, pathway and a framework saying, well, if you want to be a, you know, a top fencer, we would suggest this, then this. Than this, you know, so there is a pathway laid out. Now, as I always have said with the world class program, it's not the only pathway. It's not does you know what's right or wrong. People will make different choices, and at some times in athletes' careers, in the same way that it was right or wrong sometimes for people to either engage or not engage with a world class program because other things going on in their lives. We're not saying that we're going to define using the what it takes to win the only way to be successful in fencing, because I think we'll all agree there are many ways to be successful. But I think it is important to define what would hopefully give you the best chance of being successful, Mm. rather than just allowing repeated generations of young, talented athletes coming through without that kind of knowledge and structure around them. Yeah, I agree. That's that's very important. other things they're doing to, to support the athletes that are currently in the world class program and effectively our, our teams that are likely to compete at the European and World Championships. Um, yes. is the crowdfunded campaign that the British Fencing's, uh, started. So, so tell us a bit about that because obviously with, uh, UK sport, um, uh, cutting our funding off, um, suddenly that becomes a very big issue to, to see the existing program through at least to the end of the season to give our, uh, our top athletes a chance to, um, Produce the produce the results at the end of the season that we're we're all looking for. Exactly, but uh, uh, you're absolutely right, Sean. I mean, this crowdfunding campaign was simply started to to ensure that we didn't have this first of April cutoff, where suddenly those athletes that have spent uh, you know years working towards these European and World Championships were cut off prior to those championships even taking place. Because when you think about it, it's, um, you know, it, 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 July is your world championships. Yeah. European championships is May, isn't it? So that's why we started that campaign, because we don't want to stop everything on the 1st of April. We want to find a way of supporting those athletes training for those competitions till the season ends. Now, clearly, once that season 
once this season ends, we then enter a, a, a very different world. We don't have a world-class programme at all. Um, and what we will have to do is look at ways that, look at this programme, that, sorry, this funding campaign has actually been very successful. And how do we set that up? So we're raising money across all weapons. Mm. And we're raising, and how are we going to be transparent with the money that we get in and how we spend it and make sure we spend it fairly? Um, and, and so all of that we will need to be looking at and we will be putting in place fundraising mechanisms that will help all disciplines and all athletes that achieve a certain level of success. Because I don't know how you feel, but I kind of certainly think that if you manage to train and compete and get the results to qualify you to represent your country at senior level at European and World Championships, it feels terrible to have to present the athlete with an enormous bill for the pleasure of doing so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it seems um, not a great reward for a, a huge amount of effort yes. and investment on you know on an individual's part. Uh, I mean, I'm, one one of the sort of criticisms, I suppose, of the world class program. Although now you explain how the uh, how UK sport uh, set its conditions for how how the money would be. Um, spent on different weapons, different athletes. Uh, it's perhaps a little clearer why that happened. That uh, the the money, you know, this money coming in from UK sport, uh, wasn't sort of spread generously around to to all corners of British fencing. Uh, yes, uh, and, ho- and hopefully people it, will understand now better now why that is. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and I certainly know as an epist myself that you, you part of you thinks, well, you know, is is that fair? But that's what the UK sport no compromise investment strategy was all about. It's not about giving money poor, you know, equally to everybody in the hope that somebody somewhere might make it to Worlds and, you know, and get a medal. It's about saying, what does it take to win a world championship or an Olympic medal? Let's make absolutely sure that we wrap around those sets of services around a few athletes to make that happen. Um, but again, moving forward, we are in a slightly different, very different funded environment. And I think also alongside with our ability now to raise funding across all weapons, we also, and I mentioned this earlier, we have to look at what we're setting out to achieve. We don't, we certainly don't want to put anything in the way of people and their dreams to win world and Olympic medals for Britain. But I think that we are also looking at international work success at other competitions. So whether it's World Cups or Europeans, yeah. which certainly I think you'll know in the World Class Programme, that wasn't the focus of the programme. They were absolutely, it was all about your World Championship and Olympic yeah. results. Yeah, it's strange that uh, in fencing circles, uh, you know, a win at a World Cup or a Grand Prix is a, is a huge thing. Um, but in UK sports eyes, it doesn't seem to register at all, which is a, exactly. a, a kind of different viewpoint, you know, as the insider's view of the sport uh, and uh, an organisation which is uh, largely solely focused on on Olympic medals. Uh, yeah, and and you're right, and it, it it's something that UK sport certainly gets challenged on, and we and 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 we have indeed challenged um, them ourselves. But but that's their. I said to people, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to make the decision about which sports get funded or don't. Their their job, if you like, their purpose is to take money, government money and lottery money, and deliver back Olympic medals. Mm. So they, they don't get measured 
on World Cup results. They don't get measured. There's, you know, they can take they could take a whole you're given a whole load of money from the government and then deliver back X number of say World Cup and European Championship medals. It doesn't count for anything. Yeah. Their job, and it was very 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 transparent at the end of the day how many medals did we get at that olympics was the investment strategy was uk sports um and and how they created the structure to to spend the funding did that was that successful did it work mm-hmm. and i think that objectively when you look at rio it very much worked yeah it just didn't you know and didn't work unfortunately so well for us so what does that mean for for British fencing at uh, at an international and, and elite level uh, from here on? I mean, how how does the sport going to going to look from from our point of view for over the next five years and and beyond, or the current Olympic cycle? Yeah, uh, I think the first important point for me is that talent is out there. It's out there in our young fencers, and we can see that from the two bronze medals that we've just got at the Cadet European Championships, which yep. is fantastic news. And we've also got talent further further up. We've got talent absolutely embedded in our seniors, and I think everybody's very, very well aware that we certainly have athletes, that it wouldn't be for us in fencing a surprise if they medaled at the next Olympics. Yep. So how do we get these talented fencers to the next Olympics with a chance of bringing home medals or indeed these youngsters that are now in the under 17s to the under 20s and so on and so forth. Mm. So on the one hand, we do have the Sport England funded talent programme. And this is when I talked about our performance pathway framework, this is certainly something that within that is a funded programme. Right. And that is a fantastic opportunity again, for young, talented athletes, and these are mostly between the ages of 17 and 20, to access um, a programme which will help develop their fencing and keep them on that pathway to international success. Then uh, the for those athletes that have come age-wise out of that programme, mm-hmm. this is where, I talked about it before, we're going to have to do an awful lot more fundraising for these athletes. We are going to have to bring volunteers in to help support them because there's all sorts of mechanisms that and, and processes and procedures that need to be operated by people that need to sit around to help these athletes do what they need to do. So we're going to be appealing to the community to help to help support these athletes as they look forward to the next Olympics. And I'm convinced we can we can do it. It's going to be different and it's going to look different, but it doesn't mean that. It certainly doesn't mean in my mind that we we should give up now before no, we've even started. Not. I think there is absolutely talent out there. We should, could and will support them. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's good to hear that you know, we're not just uh, closing the door in the world-class programme and going, oh, well, that's a bit disappointing, and uh, back to back to the church hall and we'll do a bit of fencing for an hour once a week. Um, yeah, I think exactly. It, I, I think it will um, almost certainly have a, an impact on the... The wider fencing community, in terms of how how we produce our fencers, I, I think it's important that the uh, the knowledge and experience over the last decade or so of the world class program is spread out, so our clubs become stronger and better producing, better at preparing and producing these athletes uh, in conjunction with the uh, talent programs that are that are running, you know, below the uh, world class program level that we still have we still have running and are are looking to develop further. 
Exactly, exactly. And certainly you'll see over the next month or so more information coming out about how we're planning to run talent development centres through the talent programme, which exactly will do the kind of things that you're talking about, educating coaches that are working within clubs, sharing that information and knowledge and upskilling everybody so that we can support our athletes. But it doesn't just stop with the clubs and coaches. When we look at one of the, the... the fundamental things we have to achieve is we have to create athletes that are self-motivated and resilient and that that starts when they you know when they first go abroad to their first competition it's about giving them the skills that they need to be able to operate independently with confidence because to we can't now handhold them mm-hmm. we can't spot them at 14 and handhold them wrap around a program and then wrap around the world class program you know, that there is if you if, if as an athlete the alarm now goes at six o'clock in the morning and you're not down to training, well you're not going to lose your APA or or, or potentially lose a place on a programme if that happens and your results don't come in. And and that's yeah, and I think that one of the things that we can all do is help our athletes and some of them, are, you know, some of them are fantastic and already have that. But but for the others, as they come through their journey with fencing, is to ensure that they are very, very resilient and self-motivated because they are going to really need those skills because it's just going to be that much harder for them to achieve Olympic success than it was before. But I'm firmly of the belief it's not impossible. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, I, I talked to you a little bit before we started recording this interview about um, about your own experience as, a, as an athlete. I mean, you were um, at the time a sort of groundbreaker in British fencing in terms of how um, dedicated you were to your own training. And you, mm-hmm. you spent a lot of time uh, researching the sports science side and finding the best support for strength and conditioning and nutrition and, and all the things that a world-class program provides. Uh, basically, you have to yeah. track down yourself. Yeah. Uh, I think exactly. I think you think that um, if if you can do it, uh, it's possible for other people to do the same thing. Uh, but presumably, with the the frameworks that we have in place now and the the experience that we gain from our having our own world class program, that that should be quicker and easier than it was for you. Yes, I think so. I think that first of all, when I did it, it was yeah, I had to start with that blank sheet of paper, and I started by saying, well, what what will it take for me, Georgina, to win? And for those of us who know me, I looked at my lunge and thought, well, it ain't going to be the fastest lunge in the world. So what else am I going to have to do to beat the best fences? And now we have much more of that knowledge. People don't need to start with that blank piece of paper. We can start with a framework and say, well, this is what you're going to have to do. And I also feel that the this is why fundraising is so important, because I was lucky. And why I say, well, I was lucky twofold. I was lucky because when I decided that I wanted to see how good I could become in fencing, it I I changed my job for two years and put every single spare penny I had into a pot. And but I could do that because I was in my, my mid twenties, and in those days that was it wasn't an age where you were maybe you know nowadays I think athletes do start younger. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not saying you can't carry on once you get there. But I think for a 24-year-old, 25-year-old right now to have possibly make the gains that I did would be very, very tough for them. It's, mm. Again, nothing's impossible, but it would be hard. 
And so you can't expect necessarily a 17, 18 year old now who's got tremendous talent and potential to then say, well, put that all on the back burner and do nothing but work. And their earning potential age 17 is very different from what your earning potential age is post-university 24, 25. It's going to take them that much longer to raise enough money simply to do all the training in the competition, never mind the adult services that I did it um, back when I did it. So I think we have to be very mindful that the world's moved on a little bit and we have to do more to help our young athletes particularly by giving them that knowledge and finding mechanisms to give them the fund, to find the funding for them to help them achieve their dreams. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, Georgina, it's been, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I mean, I, I did come into this interview slightly worried that it would be uh, a, a relentless series of, uh, you know, sort of doom and gloom. <laughs> um, but, you know, at the end of it, I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually pretty encouraged that, uh, that we, you know, British fencing still has a lot to look forward to at international level. And I'm, I'm delighted to hear that uh, we're kind of facing up to this new reality and, and prepared to push on and uh, find ways to to in- continue and, and increase our success. Um I was going to I was going to close with a you know give me the good news about British fencing, but actually by the sense of it, there's there's a lot more than I thought there might be. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and if you really just want good news for me, you just look at some of our young athletes competing. Yeah, and that's really I think when when it gets tough, as it always does, whether it's in my job in British fencing or whether you're coaching down at the club and you've done two and a half hours without a break, and then you look round and you see some of the athletes and the, and the talent it, and that's what we do it for we do it because there's a future there and I don't think anybody in the fencing community is willing to give up on that future simply because UK sport have made a funding decision um, and, I, and I very much think it's it's our sport and, and we can make it successful Great, I totally agree with you Georgina uh, well thank you very much indeed for taking the time to talk to me, always a pleasure to speak to you and, Likewise, um, thank you for having me on and um, well, I'd hopefully, I'll speak to you again before too long. Uh, but yes, thanks again. Yes, that'd be fantastic. Okay, thanks. Brilliant. Thank you, Sean. So thanks to uh, Georgina there for taking some time to speak to us about uh, mothballing the world class program, why it's happened, and uh, you know where British Fence is going next. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I said in the interview, I came into it kind of slightly dreading having to do the interview because mm. uh, such a kind of time of uh, doom and gloom. Yeah, uh, but I, I did actually genuinely emerge from it feeling. A lot more positive than I expected to. Uh, I think Georgine is absolutely right that if uh, if you're really determined to to become a world class fencer, you'll find a way to do it. Yeah. World class program to some degree kind of laid it on a plate, but uh, you know it can it can still be done. It's you know it might take a lot of uh, chasing around for the money to find it. You know, trying to track down yeah. local sponsors, smaller sponsors, trying to find a a, a work life balance that allows you to. I think to make the most of what you have, but um, it is going to nail home the idea that we're going to have to train a lot smarter as a country, not just as individuals. I think as a country, if you want to have some people have the opportunity to step up to the plate, um, we're going to have to lay the groundwork much better. I think. Well, I think a lot of the clubs are have kind of recognised, and there's quite a few in the UK now who are much more serious and are seem determined to take their fences far further along the sort of international pathway than they had done maybe just a few years ago, maybe shortly before the world class programme was, was introduced. Mm-hmm. Um 
So clubs like Truro and yeah. Fighting Fit and San Lucia mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, Marshall Fencing, you know, various ones who who get it. They yeah. get to find to have a club that does a bit of fencing is a you know a kind of social thing, mm-hmm. and all of the clubs that I mentioned have have a side of that as well. But uh, also a lot of focus on actually producing genuine international class class fencers. Yeah, yeah. we're going to need all of that and and more and more. Yeah, and just you know because obviously I've just came back from a sort of training session with Scottish fencing. You know that, that this idea that we need to be be, be focused very well, much on pro- providing quality. Uh, training environments. No, yeah. It's not just it's not just about having saying, "Oh, we want to be an international." You know, you have to be really focused on that and be smart by the way about the channels that we create for fences to get mm-hmm. to the top. And I think we need a lot of work, you know, in the wider cultural environment in Britain that we need to go. But anyway, slightly different topic. Maybe for next time. Yeah, maybe. maybe I, I've got a lot, I've had a lot to say about that in the past. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, we'll we'll be posting a link to British Fencing's um, crowdfunding campaign. Yes. Um, Please if, be nice. Yeah, if you have if you have any cash to spare, uh, it's going to make a huge difference to the rest of the international season for the uh, for the fencers that are on the world class program at the moment. Um, certainly in the run up to well, in the the remainder of the senior mm-hmm. season and the European Championships and the World Championships. So mm-hmm. um, I'd really encourage to encourage you to put your hands in your pockets um, and and make a bit of a donation to to make sure that our British teams' preparation for those championships are. Um, as thorough as they can be. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And that brings us to uh, this month's coolest fencer on the planet. Mm-hmm. Now, you're looking quite smug there, Gav. <laughs> well, we all know what I'm going to say this time around. Yep. Okay. Well, what do you mean this time around? <laughs> well, yes. every yeah. time. Every time. Well, it's Max. He's yeah. won. He's won a tournament. Yeah. He's... You've actually got some justification this time. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he looked absolutely delighted when he won. He sounded absolutely delighted when he won. And let's face it, it's been a while since he has won. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm putting him forward as my candidate for coolest fencer on the planet. Okay. Any others? Uh, well, actually, to be fair, let's, let's put forward the Cuban guy. Uh, yeah. Junior. Um, what's his name? Uh, Vinny. Junior Rator Vinny? Yep. yep. Well, let's put him forward because let's face it, he another one another one of our favourites, mm-hmm. essentially, someone who's come from nowhere and won an epic. Yeah. I mean, he is more genuinely come from nowhere in that he's, uh, apart from last year's Pan American Championships. Yeah. He's uh, he's not been at anything. Yeah. So international man of mystery, so to speak. Yeah, but I think know. I think we understand the reasons why. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that that strikes me as being quite cool. Um, probably at least as cool as a little Swiss person who's heavily sponsored and um, he's so lovely, and he's got a great car. And he's got a great car, <laughs> and um, he was here you know, conspicuously there, conspicuously there with his uh, Red Bull water bottles, and he's got his cheese named after him. Um, all of which makes me very happy for him. But mm-hmm. um, I can't help feeling that um, uh, a Cuban guy that would would barely register has got up to well, effectively in the top sixteen in the world because you've still got um, Grumier and Imre hanging around in the top well, sixteen that's true. Yeah. on on two results mm-hmm. from a country with no money. Um, and actually watching the final, the the crowd was clearly, clearly on his side. Oh, right, okay. Anyone um, else you want to mention before we make a decision? Um, yes, I, I, I'd say play uh, Anna Marton for uh, winning the last senior event uh, with a three-metre on guard line. And she did fence absolutely magnificently as well. So I, I think she's well worth, a, well worth considering. Does, doesn't that make her a pub quiz answer as well? What was the last tournament? Who was the last winner? Yeah, you know, it's like a 
It's like a pointless, a pointless question right there, isn't it? <laughs> well, no, it's one where you get two points. You know, what was the last event and who won it? You well, that's a point, true. A point for each. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, who, who are we going to go for? Do I take it your your nomination is not swayed at all by? Well, I've got to be honest. Your your little speech there about the Cuban guy has swayed me a little bit. Sorry, Max. I, you know, I am yeah. Max's biggest fan, but because yeah. you know that Max will be at you know at the next Grand Prix and the next World Cup, and he'll be at the European Championships, mm-hmm. and he'll be at the and World he's on form. Uh, yep. So you know all of those things. Whereas our our mystery Cuban, who knows when we'll see him again. Plus, he's from Cuba, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm I'm sold. If you want to go for a junior, uh, let's do a let's let's do him. Then. Yeah. Excellent. 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 Now the only struggle now is finding a picture of him to put on our on our um, coolest fencer on the planet page on our yeah. website. Of course. Well, we will find them. We'll yeah. find them. Must be After on them. If he's been at the Pan Americans, I must know someone who knows him. So we'll we'll put a we'll put a call out. I think. Okay. See if we can find them. And uh, so so that brings us to a close for this episode. Hmm. Uh, what we're going to do for next time? Well, uh, next time up, we'll just about be at the Cadet Junior World Championships. We'll probably have a, another podcast mm-hmm. out in a couple of weeks' time, so yeah. probably just in time uh, to do our preview before the uh, Cadet Junior World Championships, which are happening in Plovdiv in Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if it's the same venue where the oh, Europeans oh. are hand, <laughs> because you know, watching the video for that, um, it does... Well, you thought uh, some Soviet-era airport... Yep. Uh, my thought was a, a multi-story car park yep. with um, a bit of marble cladding. It was. It didn't look like a sports hall. Let's put it that way. No, it was a, a weird-looking venue. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what it is. And you know, when there's not fencing going on in mm-hmm. it, but um, if that's the same venue for the worlds, uh, yeah, I, they might struggle to present it beautifully in the way that some of the Grand Prix have been done when it comes to the, mm-hmm. the video stream for that one. Yeah. Um, and then we've got it's kind of Grand Prix, you know, a bunch of Grand Prix action as well, yep. seniors, mm-hmm. uh, with men's foil from Long Beach in the USA. Budapest uh, Epi. Mm-hmm. Budapest Epi. Yep. And uh, Sabre from, from Seoul. You've got to think the, the Koreans are going to win that. And my money's in the Koreans. I'm going to put my money on the table. A home, a home one, two, a home, three. A home win on that one. Yeah. At least two on the podium. Kim Guru. Yeah, I'm going to go for the obvious ones, but at least two on the podium. At least two, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, we'll see. Okay. Uh, do you want to, do you want to go, uh, do you want to second guess me on that one and go for someone else? Um, think Aaron's going to, uh, be gunning for the Koreans after coming second last time around. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, maybe it's Aberdeen's time to finally, Oh. Justify his world ranking and, and win an individual event that's as well. Almost too good to say. That would be good. That would, that would make a dead straightforward choice. And who's yeah. the coolest fencer on the planet for the next time? Wouldn't it? <laughs> I would definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would like to say thank you very much to our supporters on Patreon. Uh, the link will be on our show notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've hit, hit our first target, which was Great. to raise fifty dollars a month mm-hmm. uh, to get us some better audio gear, uh, so it will sound even lovelier than we do just now, as if that were possible. Uh, and our next target is a bigger target. Um, is to start raising enough funds to actually fund us going to the World Championships. Yes, and I've been given the green light to go, which Hurrah. is fantastic news for me. That is. So I will be there and I'll have to listen to you being smug again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. So if you like what we're doing, follow the link on uh, to our Patreon page, contribute ooh, a whole dollar a month. You wouldn't miss it. What's it, a third of a cup of coffee or something? I sleep in that. I think it's whatever. Yeah it's, yeah, it's not much. It's not much, but it'll make all the difference to us and, mm-hmm. and what we can do with our podcast. And uh, also, don't forget, you can find us online. You can find us on Facebook at the the Fencing Podcast. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Fencing Podcast, uh, and obviously, you could email us 
at uh, you know uh, the fencing podcast at gmail.com hmm. okay I think that's about our lot for uh, for this time uh, hope you've enjoyed it and we'll speak to you again soon yeah thanks very much speak to you next time